Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's just hold these up together. We're going to pray um, and just invite the Holy Spirit to teach us, to minister to us through his word. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is life. Your word is truth. Lord, your word is our firm foundation. It's what we can build our lives on. And so, Lord, we just open our hearts, Lord, today to receive what you have for us. Holy Spirit, teach us your truth. Your word says you lead us into all truth. So, Lord, I pray that you would bring an understanding, an awakening, and a quickening, Lord, through your word today that would change our lives forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be mostly in uh, the Old Testament scriptures this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. And I want to talk today. Today is the, uh, it's the first Sunday of the month, which is typically when we receive our communion and we celebrate and we partake of the Lord's meal together. And I felt it was very important. And I just, the Lord said it on my heart that we talk about the significance of communion and the power of communion. How many of you know, and maybe you grew up in church, maybe you've been to church before, maybe you've seen or been a part of a communion service before. And Perhaps it's been a tradition. Perhaps it's been nothing more than just something that you do when you go to church, right? Like you go to church, you sing a couple songs, you pray a couple prayers, and then you go up and you have a wafer and you have some, some wine or juice or whatever, right? And, and I did my Christian duty, but how many of you know there's so much more in what communion is for the life of the believer than I think we sometimes really realize, than we really actually understand. And I'm praying that we would discover the power that rests in communion. When we partake of the Lord's meal together, that we would see the power of the spirit that flows through communion. The reception of the body of blood and blood of Jesus, is, it's such a wonderful treasure. How many of you know there is so much that has been made available to us by the blood of Jesus? In fact, you really can't teach on communion and not teach on the blood of Jesus and what that means for us, right? Because there is power in communion. There is deliverance that takes place in communion. There's healing that takes place in communion. Freedom, de uh, declar de declaration. There is oneness. There's protection. There's forgiveness, and so when we talk about communion, there is such a wonderful treasure that we have through the blood of Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at how the meal of the covenant has been around since the earliest days of Israel. And we're going to take a look at how the early church would have worshipped through communion. And so I want to start in Genesis chapter 14, starting at verse 18 and 19 or on 20. I don't know if I actually have 20 on the screen. I think I only did the first two. So we're going to do verses 18, 19, and 20. I think I cut that short. Let me read this to you. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of, the most, of God most high. And he blessed him, talking about Abraham, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham, of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. Now, when we think of communion and we think of the earliest institution of communion, a lot of us who have been in church, you might, you might immediately jump to the Passover, 
right? When Egypt was delivered, or I'm sorry, Israel was delivered out of Egypt, right? And there was the Passover meal. But I would say that this is probably one of the first instances in scripture that we have of this meal, this, the Lord's Supper being pro provided and received. And so here is Melchizedek, right? And Melchizedek is um, often believed to be a type of the, the Messiah, a type of Jesus um, in, in foreshadowing, right? Melchizedek shows up to Abraham after his great victory over the foreign kings. And Abraham had just won a battle against all these kings. Those kings represent the darkness, right? That is in our lives, the, the things that would come against us that are not according to the promises of God. And those kings gathered together against the children of covenant, and Abraham defeated the foreign kings. And then Melchizedek shows up. And he shows up with a sort of a, a victory meal, right? He shows up and he is like, blessed be Abraham. What, what, what Melchizedek was saying is that this is a significant moment. This is something that has changed things. This is something that has allowed you to continue to step foot or move into the promises of God in your life. And so Melchizedek shows up and he offers this victory meal that is bread and wine. Well, how many of you know today the church celebrates the victory of Jesus through bread and wine? Now, Melchizedek was, uh, uh, was the king of Salem or the king of Jerusalem, which translates as king of peace. How many of you know the king of peace is Jesus? And so here's Melchizedek. He shows up and then Abraham responds to Melchizedek with a tithe. It's so interesting, the different pieces that we are seeing here. We see that, the, the, that there is power in the giving of an offering in the same setting as a meal. That there is something that is unlocked in that atmosphere when the, with the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, when he is in our midst, that we would come with a worshipful heart and present our offerings to the Lord. And so we see here in, the, in this moment, we see here the presence of the Lord, right? The presence of the Lord being, being real. We see, uh, we see a meal that is, that is being offered of communion. And then we see an offering. And, and today, when you go to church, oftentimes you will, you, we invite people into the presence of the Lord in worship, right? We partake of the body of Christ and we give our offering. And so when we give our offerings to the Lord, how many of you know we should do it with a grateful and a worshipful heart, right? In the presence of the Lord, we bring our offerings. And so giving is meant to be done in the same breath, the same expression as receiving the sacrifice of Jesus. Are you guys with me? In that atmosphere of worship. That is why we give in church. Sometimes people will say, well, the church is just after your money. No, how many of you know all the money? The scripture says all the money belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to him. And he directs where it goes. God's not after your money. He's after your heart. And when we come into the presence of the Lord, listen, when you, this, picture what's going on in heaven right now. We, we keep referring to this, but I, I, you have to see this. This is so powerful that in, in heaven right now, Jesus is seated on the throne and he's surrounded by elders who are doing what? 
worshiping. And they are known as crown casters, meaning that they have been given something of significance, but when they come into the presence of the Lord, they can't help but take everything that's been given and give it back. They can't help but offer it all to him because it all belongs to him anyways, because he's that worthy, because that he's that holy. How many of you know Jesus is absolutely and without doubt definitively worth everything you could ever give him? And when that is happening in heaven, how many of you know that is the atmosphere that we are contending for here on earth? That when we come to him with our praise, we come to him with our worship, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And when we praise and worship him, it's more than just singing a song. He comes into the room. And the only appropriate expression in that atmosphere is what? Lord, take it all. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I can't, I can't even hold on to what I have. I can't hold on to what I've been given. All of my personal ambitions, they melt away in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because he's a consuming fire. Every dream, every part of self, every selfish ambition dies in the presence of the Lord. Can we see this? And so here is this interaction between Melchizedek and Abraham and Melchizedek, the king of peace, the very presence of the Lord. He comes to Abraham and the presence is there and a meal is offered and an offering is given. And so that's why we give when we come to church. Listen, we give because he's worthy. We give because he's worthy of it all. If you give a little, he's worthy. If you give a lot, he's worthy. But that we would give, whenever we give, that we would give with a heart that says, Lord, it's all yours. My life is not my own. There are so many believers that think they're good with God because they go to church. There's so many believers that think they're good because they said a prayer. But the Bible doesn't say that God so loved the world that he sent a prayer. He didn't love the world, so he sent tradition. He loved the world that he gave his son. You want to be right with the Lord? Walk with Jesus. Be with him because he gave it all. Amen? And so we see this exchange. And then we see in Exodus chapter 12, when we see the Passover. Now, if you don't know what the Passover is, that's okay. I'm going to give you a crash course. I just had a, I, I coach a, a football team and one of the players got put in a position. He's like, coach, I don't know. I've never played this position. I was like, all right, two minute crash course. All right. That's what we're doing right now. Okay. Crash course. Okay. The Passover was, was, was Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. They were in bondage for over 400 years. They were, they were in slavery. They were abused. It was God's covenant people, but they were entrapped in the system of the world and they could not get out. And so they began to call on the Lord and the Lord sent a deliverer named Moses to deliver them. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God, God said, let my people go. Egypt would not let them go. And so God sends 12 plagues. Are you guys picking up, picking up now? He sends 12 plagues. And the final plague was the death of the firstborn of every household. 
But those who would take the blood of a lamb who were in covenant with God and put it on their doorpost, that spirit of death passed over those homes. It passed over those people and it only affected those who were not in obedience, who were not in covenant. You guys with me? And so, and during that time, there was a meal that took place. And it was this meal of communion. It was this meal of being in communion with God where God's deliverance came. And so when we talk about communion, when we talk about what took place at the earliest communion, this, at that meal, at that Passover meal, God's people were healed, God's people were protected, and God's people were strengthened. And I want us to look at Psalm 105, verse 36 and 37. This is speaking of what took place in Exodus chapter 12 at that Passover. Listen to this. Psalm 105, verse 36 says, he also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And notice, there was none feeble among his tribes. There was none weak among his people. And so when we look at Melchizedek and we look at the Passovers, some of the earliest institutions of this covenant meal, we see what happens in these meal-type settings. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I love to eat, right? You can see it. I'm wearing a shirt that's too big because you can see it, right? Like, there's, I'm, there, I like to eat. I enjoy those meals, but that's something that God has given to us because powerful things happen over meals. We see it throughout scripture, right? That, that when, when Laban and Jacob, they made a covenant together that Laban would not pursue Jacob and they made a covenant promise. And what did they do? They shared a meal. Some of the most significant decisions throughout scripture are done in a meal type setting. And there is power in sitting at the table with others. There's so much power in fact, that Paul said, if someone says they're a believer but lives in a moral life, Paul says, don't even eat with them. Meaning what? There's something significant that happens at the table. There is a, something powerful. There is an exchange that takes place. Something happens biblically in the heart and relationally when we have a meal with someone. How many of you remember when God came down to Mount Sinai to marry Israel through the giving of the law and the shedding of blood, right? He comes down, he ascends onto Mount Sinai. He gives the people of God, he gives them their law and says, this is how you need to live. This is how we can have a, you can live a life so that I can be with you. And he has this marriage ceremony through the shedding of blood and it says that Moses and the elders were invited to the top of the mountain to eat with God. I cannot even imagine what took place during that meal. What it was like that Moses and the elders, the people of God, were invited to ascend the mountain, the Mount Sinai, to come into the presence of God and to eat with him. It says that they saw God, they saw the Lord in a sea of emerald. That's about all we got. 
But can you imagine what that meal would have been like, right? Talk about the best meal you could ever pick. Five stars, right? Five star, five star Yelp review right there, right? There is power in these meal type settings, so much so it is what God chose when he brought covenant and marriage to God's people through the feasting of a meal. All right, we good? We better be good. This is powerful. I'm telling us why we're doing this, okay? So what happens when the Jews receive the covenant meal? Okay? Well, we saw that they were liberated. How many of you know the body and the blood, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, the meal that we partake of, it is a meal of deliverance. Meaning there is things that are in your life that maybe you've been dealing with for a long time. It could be thought patterns. It could be self-image issues. It could be fear, anxiety, those things that have plagued you. It could be sickness, chronic pain. chronic fatigue. Listen, when we come to the Lord's table, his body was broken. His blood was shed so that you could be set free. And when every time we partake of this meal, we are partaking of that covenant promise, that covenant reality that I don't need to be in bondage anymore. I don't need to be a slave to the darkness of this world anymore. This is the meal of deliverance. Listen to what Exodus 12, 11 says. It says, thus you shall eat this meal with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, God was saying, listen, you got to eat this quickly. You got to eat this ready. Why? Because we're out of here. We're out of here because things are about to change. It's the meal of deliverance. Maybe there has been things that have been passed down in your family, tendencies, sin, bondages. Partake of the Lord. You don't need to live in that reality anymore. This is the meal of deliverance, the meal of breakthrough, the meal of exiting from Egypt into, listen to this, the beauty of Sinai. The very presence of the Lord where we worship and we partake and we're in communion with God himself. Do you see what the Lord has offered? I'm going to take you out of the dark place that you're in and I'm going to bring you up here with me. Is this good? So they received deliverance. Everybody say deliverance. Listen, what else they received? They received strength. This meal is a meal of strength. Verse 34 says, there was none feeble among them. There was none. I think about this. How many people left, were delivered out of Egypt? Approximately 3 million. 
There was approximately 3 million people that made the exodus out of Egypt into God's promised land. That's a lot of people, right? We're talking about, that's two cities of Milwaukee, I believe. I think Milwaukee's one and a half. I could be wrong. That's a lot of people, right? 3 million people and not one was weak among them. They had partook of something. They were in covenant with Almighty God. And as they partook of this meal, they partook of the body and the blood, they partook of this covenant, it gave them strength. Listen, you cannot today go somewhere and say, if there, is there anyone here that is sick and someone not raise their hand? This is a supernatural thing. There was not, no one feeble among them. So why do we partake of bread and wine? Well, because the Bible says Jesus is called the bread of life, right? And his blood is signified in the wine. And we see the bread and wine. We see it represented between Melchizedek and Abraham, and we see it in the Passover meal. And there is this reception of bread and wine and what it creates and what it produces in our life is deliverance and strength. Listen, deliverance from darkness. Deliverance from sin. Some of you have been struggling with the same sin over and over. You need deliverance. Guess who? Guess what? Jesus paid for that. Some of you need deliverance from weakness or from sickness. There were three million people, and there were old people, people of all ages, and there was none weak. You might be here and you might feel weak, you might feel beaten down. You might feel discouraged. You might feel depressed. You might feel sick. Partake of the Lord through this meal and watch what God will do. This is a moment when you come and you receive this. This is not tradition. There is power in this covenant meal. Listen to this, Psalm 23 one of the most popular scriptures. It's also a, a Hall of Fame rap song. Psalm 23, verse four says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. Everybody say a table. Okay? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Now, I know a lot of people, they read this and they think, yep, when times get difficult, God is with me. Yes, that's true. Absolutely true. And you can use it like that. But this is actually a prophetic scripture about the Lord Jesus himself. He's the only one to actually go through the valley of the shadow of death. This is about the Lord Jesus, and he's the one who walked through that valley. But notice this. Notice what Jesus' focus is as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. His focus is on a table. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Jesus' focus was on the table in the presence of his enemies. How many of you know Jesus knew this exact feeling, right? He sat at the table at the Last Supper. He's with his disciples, but who was there? 
Judas, his betrayer. And he's sitting in the presence of his enemies, but how many of you know Judas wasn't surrounding him? Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem when he was betrayed. It was the city of God. It is the center of the universe. And Jesus was there. And everybody in that city was about to turn on Jesus that night. He was surrounded by his enemies. And what was Jesus's focus? It was the table. And here he is. He's breaking bread. He receives wine with Judas at the table. In the presence of his enemies, he breaks the bread, they receive the wine, and what does he do? He breaks covenant with those who are close to him. Let me tell you this, and I need every person to hear me right now. In fact, look at me. When you feel surrounded and you don't know what to do, remember your covenant with Jesus. He was surrounded and he offered a covenant promise with us. When you are surrounded, remember your covenant with the Lord. When you feel surrounded, listen, unlock the power of that covenant through communion with him. An agreement was made through the expression of sharing bread and wine. Listen, Melchizedek and Abraham, they shared bread and wine. Jacob and Laban. God and Noah, David and the Lord, Moses and God's people, all within the setting of the Lord's presence, they did what? They shared this meal. And I felt impressed by the Lord that we would be used by God to reestablish the beauty of Jesus's presence at the holy table of the Lord. When we partake of communion, it's a holy moment. It's a moment of God's presence. It's a moment of remembrance of what he's done. It's a, moment, it's a moment of receiving his deliverance. It's a moment of receiving his strength. You know, I was, I was pondering this and as I was just considering, and before we receive, we're about to receive communion in just a moment. But think about sickness in the early church. I was reminded of James chapter five where, where James says, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up, right? But notice how James starts that. He says, is any among you sick? You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really need to ask that today because in any gathering, there's always people sick. There's always people who are hurting. There are many sick among us and it breaks my heart, right? Like they're, they're, it's not God's covenant promise. But I, I wonder at times, why did he say it that way? And it it's, it's, doesn't say this, but I wonder if, I wonder if possibly there is a reference to sickness being less common in the early church than it is today. You wouldn't need to ask that question. Just be like, pray for the sick. If they're, when, the, when people are sick, have the elders pray for them when it happens. But James says, is there? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27. Paul says, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Notice, examine himself. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you. I wonder, and and the context here is what? It's the table of the Lord. And I just wonder if the church today is more sick than it needs to be. I wonder if the church today is more sick more often than it needs to be because we don't receive the body and the blood of the Lord as often as we should. Because we don't receive the body and blood of Jesus in the right manner with a discerning heart. And so here's the Lord. See how the Lord deals with pain and challenge at the table. He's at the table during the Last Supper. He receives the meal. He offers the Last Supper. He offers the meal. How many of you know Jesus is the meal? And the covenant promise of strength and healing through communion. So when we talk about communion, you can't tell me that this is just a tradition that involves stale wafers and six-month-old grape juice. Ours is fresher than that, I promise. (laughs) No, no, there is something so significant that the Lord wants to do in this. The power is not in the elements themselves. It's the remembrance and the expression and the heart of where we are when we receive that. We are remembering his covenant. We're remembering his promise to us, amen? And when we, see, when we receive this with the right heart, that, uh, and let me tell you what the right heart always is with God. The right heart is a humble heart. When we come to him with a humble heart that says, I know I've sinned. I know that I need the Lord in my life. That is the heart that receives from the Lord, amen? And so I'm gonna pray here in just a moment. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up, or Micah and Zach. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna receive the elements in just a moment. And we, we celebrate an open communion, which means that you don't need to go through a class to receive communion. You don't need to have all your ducks in a row. You don't need to be super religious. We sell an open communion, meaning if you are here and you're saying, I want more of Jesus in my life, this is for you. If you're here today and you're saying, I I, I recognize that there is sin in my life. I, I recognize that I need deliverance. I sin every day. I, I walk through things and I mess up. And you're saying, I need deliverance. This meal is for you. If you're here today and you, you're saying, I'm weak. I don't know if I can make it through. I, I'm tired. I'm, I'm sick. I, there's pain in my life. This meal is for you. But here is how I ask that we would receive communion today. There's different ways that are appropriate. One way is with broken and humble hearts. A heart that, with an understanding that says, we've all sinned and we all need forgiveness. We can come to the Lord's table with joy and gladness because we realize just how much we've been given in the Lord and the deliverance that has been purchased for us. But I want every single person, every single person, if you are going to come and receive communion with us today, this is what I ask. 
that you would have an awareness of God's presence here. That there would be an awareness that God is here, that he is moving, and that he wants to do something significant in your life, amen? So I'm gonna invite everybody to come up in just a moment. And we're gonna have the worship team begin to lead us in worship. And can we let this be a worshipful moment where we call on the Lord, where we, where we call on the name of Jesus and we say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I thank you. These are all appropriate expressions that you would receive, take these elements and that you would go to your seat and then pray with someone around you as you receive the elements. If you need help with that, there's people around that would love to help you with that. But just begin to pray. Ask the Lord, what do you have need of? What has God promised you? Begin to pray that over one another. And then as we're singing, you can receive the bread, the which represents the body of Christ that has been broken for you. And you can receive the juice, the cup, which represents the blood that was shed for you. Are we good? And then once, And then once you are done, uh, once you receive, you can go ahead and you can be dismissed, okay? But we will have people up here. We're going to have some people up here available to pray with you if you need prayer for anything. We have people that would love to pray with you, to continue to pray, to believe with you, to stand in faith with you. And so if after you receive communion, you would like more prayer, come right up here and we will pray for you. Otherwise, you're dismissed, okay? Well, let's stand together and let me pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your blood, the power of your body. Thank you for this family. Lord, that we can come together in your presence to receive this covenant meal from you. And I pray the power of the blood and the power of the body of Jesus. I pray that on each and every person here in Jesus' name. Amen.